Welcome to the Coastal Church Audio Podcast. This week, we have guest speaker Peter Pretorius. He is the founder of JAM, the Joint Aid Management. JAM is a South African nonprofit organization that has been working in Africa since 1984. They now feed over 1 million people daily. I'm so happy to be here with you tonight. First time in Vancouver, but your city is beautiful. I know one other city in the world that I think is as beautiful or maybe a little more beautiful, and that's Cape Town. But it looks to me like this is a wonderful place to live. We were so kind of happy just coming in here today and being able to come and minister here tonight. I really have something on my heart that I want to share with you tonight. And I want you to come with me to Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 8. And this is possibly my most favorite scripture in the Bible. It says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And that not of yourself, it is a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Amen. By grace you have been saved. The Bible says, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. In fact, says he's a new creature. You see, sometimes we don't maybe grasp the power that has happened in our lives when we give our lives to Jesus Christ. We know we're saved. We know we have eternal life. But do we fully grasp what has actually happened in our lives? You know, when Anne and I got saved, we had no background in the church. We were actually tobacco farmers at that time. I smoked 70 cigarettes a day myself. We were not really searching for God. We had our plans. We were going to retire when I was 40 years old and do what we wanted to do. We had the most beautiful farm and we believed we had our lives together. And then something tragic happened. My dad had a double heart attack and he was dying. My mom called and said, you've got to come quickly. Dad's dying. And I jumped on an airplane and flew up to Johannesburg and got to the hospital and Quite honestly, I couldn't speak to him or anything. He was unconscious. He was on life support machines. I thought to myself, I'm too late. I spoke with the doctor and the doctor told me. I asked him, I said, does my dad have any chance of surviving this? He said, no. I wish I could tell you yes, but his heart is so badly damaged It won't sustain life. I think within 48 hours, he will have passed on. I went down and sat in my car, and I just wept. My dad was 58. He was my best friend. Him and I had had such an incredible relationship together. I wasn't ready for him to die. And I just... Sat in my car and I just cried, you know. As I sat there, something amazing happened because 
Nearly 20 years before that time, my auntie had taken my mom and I to an Oral Roberts crusade, the first one he ever held in South Africa. And I saw a paraplegic cripple get out of a wheelchair that night. And it totally amazed me because as a 13-year-old boy, I had sat most of the night watching this young boy in his wheelchair, putting his legs, tucking them under the cushion of his wheelchair. His legs were so like two of my thumbs. It was impossible for him to walk. And yet as Oral Roberts laid hands on him, he came out of the wheelchair. It didn't change my life. Probably within two or three months, I'd forgotten about that. And yeah, 20 years later, this picture flashes back in my mind as though it was yesterday. And I went directly to my mom's house and I said, Mom, the only hope we have for Dad is if we can find someone to pray for him. He said, why don't we pray? I said, I'm not a hypocrite. I can't pray. I don't even know where God lives. Do you know it took us four hours on the phone to try and find someone to pray with us? When you need God and you haven't been looking for God, you're in trouble. And eventually, we got this pastor who prayed with us on the phone. And then unbeknown to me, he took his elders and went to the hospital and they anointed my dad with oil and prayed the prayer of faith. And I went to the hospital early the next morning and rang the bell on the intensive care. And there was dread in my heart. I was so afraid they were going to tell me my dad had passed away in the night. And as the sister came to the door, she had this wonderful smile on her face and said, come quickly, your dad is so much better. He was not just better. They'd taken all the support machines off of him. He was sitting up in bed, his color had come back. He was totally healed. They discharged him out of the intensive care that day and three days later, they discharged him out of the hospital. He never had another problem with his heart. You know what? It impacted me. Because my whole life, I had believed, if you want someone to help you, you need to help others. One hand washes the other. That's, that's what my whole foundation of belief was. And yet it was a situation where I'd never done anything for God. Nothing. And right in the middle of that, God does this incredible miracle and heals my dad. I told the man who'd prayed for him, if you're ever in our area, please come and tell me how God could do this because I don't understand. And he came a month later and came and told us in our house why Jesus had healed my dad. And that night, both Anne and I gave our lives to Jesus Christ in our home. And I want to tell you that from that very night, our lives completely turned around and went in another direction. Within three weeks, we started a church on our farm. 
We had 142 laborers who worked for us on the farm. And I said to Anne, I said, you know what? These people who work for us, they need to hear about this Jesus that we've received into our lives. We knew nothing. We didn't know how to preach. We didn't know the word. In fact, the man who had led us to the Lord, he told us to read the New Testament first. And we'd only got into a couple of books in the New Testament, so we were not schooled in the Word of God. But I just had this burden on my heart that the people on the farm needed to hear about the Lord. So we started a farm in the tobacco barn. I want to tell you, it was the funniest smelling church you've ever been into in your life. And you know what? I went to church in the morning and I listened to exactly what the pastor preached in the Assemblies of God church that we had joined. And I wrote everything down and came straight back to the farm and preached the very same message. I don't know how good I did that, but I want to tell you, I did it with a lot more enthusiasm. You know what, we were so stupid that we didn't realize that the morning meeting in our church was not a gospel message. In three weeks, we had 42 people receive Jesus Christ as their Lord and their Savior. And let me tell you, it wasn't because of us. We were three-week-old babies when we started. Preaching a second-hand message. And God just touched these people. You see, something so dramatic happens in our lives when we are born again. And often we feel like we need a background in God before God can use us. I want to read you something in Romans in chapter 3 and verse 22. It says, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ to all and on all who believe, for there is no difference. Amen? Isn't that wonderful? I absolutely love that sentence that says, for there is no difference. You see, when we come to the Lord Jesus Christ, whether we have come from a long background of church, from a family that maybe has known God, or whether we come from the street, or whether we come having been a drug addict, or having been an alcoholic, it makes no difference. For there is no difference. It is for all and on all. Who believe. You see, this is something that impacted our lives so early. We realized we didn't have a background, but we realized what had happened in our lives. Jesus told me, He said, Your past will never again determine your future. It is the cross that will determine your future. Hallelujah. Isn't that wonderful? Because let me read to you the, the second part of Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 8. And look at 2 verse 10. It says this. 
For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. See, you see, the day that we got saved by grace, the day that Jesus came into our lives, that day we became the workmanship of God. You see, prior to that, we were not God's workmanship. We had our inheritance, which came from our mother and father, which came through our gene pool. But the Bible says the day we got born again, we became the workmanship of God. You see, something dramatic happened in our lives. God intervened and we became the workmanship of God. Just like we gave God this messed up lump of clay. And God took that clay and became the potter. And began to mold that clay. And began to shape that clay. Because we became his workmanship. And then it says, created in Christ Jesus. You see, when we were born again, we were not born in the womb of our mothers. We were born spiritually in the womb, which is Jesus Christ. We were created in Christ Jesus, which means we inherited the nature of Jesus. Hallelujah. That became our spiritual DNA. Everything that Jesus is became embedded in our lives because we were created in him. And we got our purpose. See, Christians sometimes ask, I don't know what my purpose is. But the Bible so clearly here declares what our purpose is for good works that were ordained for us from the very beginning of time. God ordained that we as the family of God, that we as God's people, that we would be raised up become his workmanship, molded by him, anointed by him, created in Christ Jesus for the purpose that God has for us. And that purpose is good works. Amen. Let me just, I mean, you know this as well as I know this. There's nothing that's more rewarding. There's nothing more fulfilling than doing good works. And you know, good works just encompass so many different things. They're everything that is the works of the kingdom of God. Everything. In 1987, I had the most incredible experience in my life. I was doing a gospel outreach in a place called Big Bend, in Swaziland, we had a tent at that time. 
And after every night's preaching, we would also pray for the sick. And our outreach was 12 days long. And every one of those 12 days, a woman brought her blind son to be prayed for. In 11 of those days, she took her boy home blind. And on the last night, as I came down to pray for that little boy, she was crying. And I knew why she was crying. She didn't want to take her child home blind again. Do you know, there was such an incredible desire in my heart to see that little boy healed. And as I went down to pray for him, I became curious. I wanted to see what was wrong with his eyes. So I actually opened his eyes to have a look. And I was shocked. He didn't have any pupil or any cornea at all. He had no eyes. You know what? My faith just ran away. I felt like I can't pray for him. I don't know what the difference was if he was blind or if he didn't have eyes, but I'm just telling you, my faith ran away. And I moved on to pray for the other people. And I felt the Holy Spirit say so strongly to me in my heart. And the promise that Jesus made us, whatever you ask in my name, I shall do that for you. And I went straight back to that little boy. And I just put my thumbs on his eyes and I said, in the name of Jesus, please give him new eyes. And I took my thumbs away and immediately he opened his eyes and I knew he was healed. Why? Because he now had these beautiful, big brown eyes. I said to his mother, mommy, ask your son how you look. I knew he'd never seen her. She had told us he was born like that. She said she had to put him to bed at night and wake him up in the morning because he couldn't even distinguish the difference between daylight and darkness. He'd never seen her. Maybe he'd felt her, but he'd never seen her. And she said to him, my boy, how does your mommy look? And he looked up at her and he said, Mommy, you are so beautiful. And she just burst out crying. And she said, I don't cry easy, but man, I want to tell you, I burst out crying with her. Those were not tears of, of sadness. Those were tears of immense gladness. I've never been so glad in my life. I mean, the next, I didn't sleep much that night. And the next day we sat on the pavement and we watched this little boy play soccer with all the other kids. And I just thought to myself, Jesus, how wonderful it is to see the works of the kingdom of God in operation. Nothing is more rewarding than seeing what God can do and what God does do. And the reality is, there's a world out there that is crying out for the children of God to come, to love them, to encourage them, to reach them, to pray for them, to believe God for them. 
to preach the truth of the gospel to them. That's not just in your city. That's everywhere in the world. I love so much that I'm a part of the church, the global church, the global family of God. And you know what? Together, we are the hope of the world. Amen? I mean, let me read something to you from James chapter 2 and verse 14. It says, What does it profit, my brethren, if someone says he has faith, but he does not have works? Can faith save him? Of course. We read that. It is by grace we are saved, through faith. If a brother or a sister is naked and destitute of daily food, And one of you says to them, depart in peace and be warmed and filled, but you do not give them the things which are needed for the body, what does it profit? Thus also, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that there is one God you do well. Even the demons believe and they tremble. But do you want to know, O foolish man, that faith without works is dead? Why does the Bible put it to us that way? Because you see, it is through our faith in Jesus Christ that he develops those good works within us. And the moment we have faith in him, he changes our heart. The Bible says, as we behold him, as in a glass, we are transformed. Step by glorious step. It's not an overnight happening. It's not like you get saved tonight and tomorrow morning, you are completely different. It is step by glorious step. But as I submit my life to Christ, every day I'm changing. Every day that salvation is working in my heart and in my life. And I'm slowly being transformed into the image of Jesus, whom we read, I was created in. Amen? Isn't that powerful? I mean, how much every one of us yearns just to fulfill our purpose in God? The purpose is clear. You know, I shared on the video with you experience I had in Pombara. What I never mentioned on the video is one of the biggest changes in my understanding was that a woman came with her little baby. Well, I thought it was a baby. child was actually 11 months old, but looked like a baby. And I saw that this child was really close to death. So I said to the woman, 
will you give me your baby? I want to pray for your baby. Because I knew no matter how much you try, food is not going to save this child. It's too late. I want to ask God to do a miracle for the child. And I took her baby from her. And I was praying for this baby, asking Jesus just to do a miracle. And while I was praying, the baby died in my arms. And the moment the baby died, this mother went absolutely ballistic, like only African people can mourn. And I couldn't calm her down. I mean, it felt like a long time, but it was probably maybe 10 or 15 minutes. And I was still standing with this little dead baby looking at this little baby. And suddenly, a thought came to my mind. A thought that has stayed with me for 27 years. It was a simple but a very profound thought. When I looked at that baby, I thought to myself, this baby did not choose where it was born. It would never have chosen to be born to a family where for its whole little life it struggled to stay alive. Where for its whole life it was a battle and at 11 months old it lost the battle. It would never, never, never have chosen that. I thought to myself, why could have been born here? See, we don't choose where we're born. And it was something so strong in my heart that I, I made a pact with God that day that I would do everything together with him that I possibly could do to make sure that no child goes to, to bed hungry, that no child starves to death from hunger. I think the greatest injustice of our time is that still more than a million children every year in Africa die of malnutrition. Can you imagine that? A million children. It's too much. I know that 10 years ago it was a million and a half. So we've made some progress. But a million's too much. Actually, 10,000's too much. It's not just that a child die without food. And I'm so pleased that God has used us the way that he has. And that we today feed more than a million children. But you know what? Even a million children... It's a small piece of what we've got to do. But you know what? It doesn't even take a huge amount to save a child's life. It's actually simple. I'm going to show you, you know, Jesus says in Matthew chapter 25, and I'm not going to read the whole, whole verse to you. I just want to read to you from um, from verse 35. For I was hungry, he says, and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you took me in. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and 
visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. And they said, when do we see you like that? He said, no, 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 no. When you did it to the least of these, my brethren, you did it to me. Amazing how Jesus identifies himself with the hungry, with the sick, with the naked. You know, I don't know if you've ever seen anybody in Canada who's naked. I arrived in a village in Nampula, in northern Mozambique, one afternoon. And as we drove into the village, all the women ran away. They ran into the bushes in the trees. And I was surprised and troubled. And I said to the administrator of the village, I said, why did the woman run away? Have have you never seen white people here? Or did we do something that, that scared them? He said, no, 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 no. He said, they are naked. And they are ashamed. They have no clothes. That's why they ran away. There are still many people, even in our modern world, that it's very true to say, when I was naked, you clothed me. I want to show you something of just how simple it is to change a child's life. If you can just play that Matthew story video for me, please. I hate these places, I thought to myself as I entered the building. Is this what they mean when they talk about the smell of death? Not a vile smell, but rather a strange confluence of antiseptic, milk from the therapeutic formula we provide, and human body odor. Fearing to look down at the children lying on the blankets on the floor, I prepared myself for the inevitable. The sight of children so malnourished that their little bodies are just skin and bone, feeding tubes inserted in their noses, and a lifeless blankness in their eyes. This room was filled with lifeless and troubled souls. I started to examine the children as their mothers watched my every move with great desperation. Then I saw him, Matthew, a two-year-old boy lying wrapped in a blanket, lifeless, dying. Matthew's face was so gaunt that his bones looked as though they could burst through his skin at any moment. I asked his mother if I could open the blanket, and as I did, I wished that I had not. The blanket revealed one of the worst sights I've yet witnessed in my life. The smell of rotting flesh filled my nostrils with a sharp, pungent smell. My God, his skin is rotting off his body, I exclaimed. Large portions of his skin were literally falling off his body, revealing large open wounds. His ribs appeared as though they were above the skin. I looked at one of the people with me and said, There's no hope for him. He'll die in the next few days. We prayed for the young boy and I recall thinking, only a miracle could save him. As we walked out of the clinic, I thought again, how I hate these places. My trip came to an end and as is necessary in our work, I put this emotionally draining experience behind me and continued to draw on all we had learned 
at JAM over the past two decades in meeting the needs of the children who can be reached before they get into Matthew's condition. I returned to the same clinic six months later and was thrilled to see who was waiting there for me. Matthew. Not the Matthew I had seen dying just six months previous, but rather a chubby, healthy young lad. It was evident that his mother had dressed him in his best clothes. I sat with Matthew on my lap, gave him candy, and battled to contain my emotions, as they showed me pictures of him as I had last seen him. My mind wandered to those children who don't make it to the clinics who we don't reach in time, who die as just another statistic. A child dies every eight seconds, not just a statistic, but a human tragedy of epic proportions. What can we do to stop this, to bring about justice, a justice that sees no child die of starvation? We do what we are doing. We start with one Matthew at a time. Gain back time eight seconds at a time. We continue doing what we do, but on a much larger scale until we reach our current goal to feed one million children every school day. And then we continue beyond there. It doesn't take much to provide a nutritious meal a day to a child like Matthew. Nothing elaborate, Nothing complicated, just a meal a day. We need more and more donors and partners like you who are essential to our quest for justice for the Matthews of Africa. Children who deserve a meal a day. Totally, totally amazing what food can do. You know, when I was with the young man you saw in the videos, our son, Isaac, I was with Isaac that day in the clinic. And that little boy looked so far gone. We honestly didn't believe he could make it. But God helped him. And you know, I think that's the, the greatest part of working together as a family of God. Because we don't just bring the food. We bring God's love. We bring God's favor. We ask God for miracles. We ask God to do what we can't do. And that's to bring a child like Matthew just through those first few weeks until the food can actually turn the situation around. You know that it only takes $60 to feed a child for a whole year. 65. 65 Canadian dollars. I mean, in our kind of societies, that's not a lot of money. Actually, Anne and I went out for lunch today. And that's what we spent. We didn't even have a huge lunch. We just had some seafood and I just thought to myself you know what it's so easy it's really so easy to change a child's life and to make a difference 
And that's our calling. It's the calling of the church. It's the commission we were given to do good works. And we can do those good works all around the world. We can do them right here in the city of Vancouver. There's needs here too. But you see, God's heart is bigger than just our own area. God actually looks across the whole world. And God sees what the needs are. And God sends people like Anne and myself to go and reach those people. We have 780 full-time people working for us. We have over 4,000 volunteers who prepare the food in the feeding programs. Our programs are not in the cities. Our programs are in the rural areas where the need is the greatest. Many of the places where we feed, there's hardly a road there. It's a little like track. We use these ex-military 4x4 trucks to distribute the food. The logistics of feeding a million children a day is quite a nightmare. But you know what? God has taught us over the years. God has helped us to get there. We're ready to expand. The reason we can feed children so inexpensively is we have built our own factories where we actually make the food. And it's a highly nutritious food. It's 65% cornmeal, white cornmeal. It's 25% soya, 10% sugar. And then there are 28 vitamins and trace elements and immune boosters that are in the food. It's a stage one therapeutic food that can take a child from literally near starvation and turn it around in six months. And the factory that we have in Peter Maritzburg in South Africa alone can manufacture more than a million meals a day. And then we have a factory in Mozambique and in Angola as well. So we're at a place where we can expand, where we want to expand. And that's the reason we're looking to the family of God to come on board and let's together make a difference for these children. You know, I hear the cry of the Lord in in this scripture in Matthew 25. When you look at what he says from verse um, 43. 42 rather, for I was hungry and you gave me no food. I was thirsty and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger and you did not take me in. I was naked and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison and you didn't visit me. Then they will answer him saying, Lord, when do we see you hungry or thirsty, stranger or naked or sick in prison? or in prison, and did not minister to you. And then he will answer them, saying, Assuredly, I say unto you, inasmuch as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you didn't do it to me. In other words, he 
You forsook me. You didn't do it to me. You didn't feed me when I was hungry. You didn't clothe me when I was naked. You know, I think as a church, we never want to get to that place where the Lord would ever say these things of us. We want to be the ones where the Lord said, come and inherit the kingdom of God that was prepared for you from the beginning of time. For when I was hungry, you fed me. When I was naked, you clothed me. And when I was sick, you came to me. And when I was in prison, you visited me because you cared. And that's the, that's the cry of our hearts. That's our prayer. We love the church. We're such a part of the body of Christ. Although we're an independent ministry, we're entrenched in the local church. And we believe with all our hearts that it's God's people who are going to meet the needs of the world. Because when we were given the promise in Genesis chapter 12, when God promised, he said, I will make you a great nation. I'll make your name great. He said, I will bless you and you will be a blessing. And in fact, he finishes off that promise by saying, and in you, every family in the earth shall be blessed. I mean, what an incredible vision God had for the church. And many say the promise was for Israel. No, it wasn't. If you have a look in Galatians in chapter 3 and the last verse, you will see what it says. It says, and if you are Christ's, you are the seed of Abraham and heirs to the promise. So we who are the family of God, we who are Christ, that's our promise. And what a great vision God has for the church that every family in the whole earth will be blessed by us, through us. Amen. And I believe that day is coming. We've made big strides already. I love what Jesus says. I will build my church. And the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And look where the church has come from. Right from the early days, through all the persecution, through the dark ages. And today, we are more than 2 billion people who are Christians. It is true. He will build his church. And the gates of hell will never prevail against the church. But I believe he will build his church to be a blessing in these last days. That we will begin to bless every family. Because we know the heart of Jesus. When I was hungry, he gave me food. Thank you so much for listening to the Coastal Church Audio Podcast. We hope that today's message has inspired you to live in a life fully devoted to following Christ. Be sure to check out our website for other ways to watch, listen, or share this message. For more information, go to coastalchurch.org.